So tonight we are in Revelation 17 and 18. And um, just as an introduction so that you can get a feel for this, there is some controversy. The biggest one being that 17 and 18 is the same city. I do not hold to that position, and I'll try to explain that to you tonight. There's really good arguments, and some very good Bible teachers say that they're one and the same. And I'll give you my reasons tonight why I do not believe they are. I believe they're two separate cities. Um, But as we get into this, chapter 17, I'm going to quote what the Pope said yesterday to set the stage for the Bible study tonight. Because what we have in Revelation 17 is what's left after the rapture of the church. And we have a pseudo-church. It's called church. We know that it's headquarters in, in Rome. But I was shocked to... Uh, um, Judy sent me this in an email. And this was the title, uh, quoting the Pope. <clears throat> we must have a new world government that must rule for the Americans' own good. Quote, unquote. See, we're the obstacle right now. But this was, this was yesterday, gang, that this was said. So I'll probably quote it again at the end of the Bible study just to show you how quickly things are moving. And, um, and this plays into our study tonight. And I hope you have a, uh, these two chapters go together just like 15 and 16. I also want to say that this is not in a chronological order. Even though we're in 17 and 18, it's happening during chapter 16. So now we're going back and having detailed information given to us during, during these last final plagues. So as introduction, the church that should have been the bride of Christ in chapter 17 is called the harlot. The church is guilty of spiritual fornication, selling yourself to the world for hire, This is the church that says, I am rich and increased with goods and I have need of nothing. Some churches will meet the Sunday after the rapture and they won't miss a a member. But let's clearly understand that they are not the true believers. They are not part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He never calls them his church. He calls it a harlot. It is a pseudo-religious system which controls the beast. Now, I suppose now is as good a time of any, and I'll leave this up for a while. Thomas, you can put the woman who rides the beast up on the screen. Um, uh, the, The beast is the Antichrist, and the woman is the religious institution that will exist after. And I'm going to go into detail and talk about that a little bit later, but we're just going to leave that up there for now. Uh, This would be the harlot, which controls the wild beast during the first half of the Great Tribulation. Yet it is hated by him, the Antichrist. During the last half of the trib, the beast destroys the harlot in order to set up his own, own religion. So I'm pretty much giving you the whole Bible study in that one paragraph that I just read. During the first half, um, there's a necessity because people will still believe there's a Christian institution. And we'll find out here it's headquartered in Rome. Uh, I like this guy's name, Dwight Pentecost. I just like it, you know. How can you not like a name like that? In his book, Things to Come, he gives this commentary concerning the harlot system the beast who is dominated by the harlot system. Now, into, just, let me just stop there again, quote what the Pope is calling for yesterday, and that is we must have a new world government. So that, that must rule for, the, for Americans' own good. And um, the fact that he would be making such a statement and the light that we're reading these chapters tonight is mind-boggling to me. Um, but anyway, the one who's really being worshipped during these first three and a half years is headquarters in Rome. And of course, the devil will have nobody worshipped except himself. So she's got to go. 
But for a while, for the first three and a half years, she's writing him. Now, I'm going to talk more about um, the details of this picture right here as we get into our study tonight. Uh, Without doubt, the harlot system was in competition with the religious worship of the beast promoted by the false prophet that we read about in in, uh, Revelation 13. And her destruction is brought about so that the beast may be the sole object of false worship as he is claimed to be God. We've read it over and over again in 2 Thessalonians 2. So what we have is a religious Babylon in chapter 17. We'll see that this religious system in Rome will be destroyed by the beast Uh, The beast hates this institution because that's the one that's receiving the worship. Uh, It's destroyed at the beginning of the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. That's important, that what I just mentioned, because it's going to help me make a distinction for those who believe that 17 and 18 are both one place, both Rome. Now, commercial Babylon, that's chapter 18, is destroyed by the return of Christ. So that's at the end of the three and a half year period of time. It's loved by the world. The world loves it. It's destroyed at the end of the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. And um, I suppose now is a good a time as any to um, go to Zechariah chapter 5. No, Uh, I'll come back to that when we get into chapter 18, it would be a better place for that. So chapter 17, an overall verse, a picture of the religious system after the rapture. Uh, Chapter 18, the woman and the Antichrist, seven heads and ten horns, seven governments and ten kings. The woman, the harlot, is the Roman Catholic Church. Now having said that, when we... I'll just flip back to uh, the Church of Thyatira and Revelation chapter 2 and let me make some comments because I believe there are people in the Roman Catholic Church and the Bible teaches that even though they're, um, you know, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required, to whom little is given, little is required. There are those who love the Lord And they simply have never been taught the Bible. And in Revelation um, 2, I'll pick it up in verse um, 20. This is, in my opinion, a picture of the Roman Catholic Church. Because of their spiritual idolatry. Um, But he also acknowledges that they do a lot of good things around the world. In verse 19, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And for your works, the last are more than the first. I mean, Vince Lombardi went to Mass every single day. And uh, Green Bay is sort of an epicenter of Roman Catholicism, as is this part of Wisconsin. And... um, when you've only been brought up in one institution, but you still have, you can still have a love for the Lord. But he says in verse 20, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and beguile my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Well, the reference to Jezebel here and um, um, sexual immorality is basically... Jezebel marrying King Ahab, and in doing so, she introduced the worship of Baal to Israel. And um, uh, they they went along with it, and it caused a whole country to eventually stumble because of Jezebel. He says, I gave her, now he's comparing that to what I believe is the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, There are abominations like transubstantiation, the weekly sacrifice, purgatory, infant baptism. I could be here for a long talk, long time talking about sexual immorality, but in a doctrinal sense. And it presents a different gospel. And there are levels of sins. 
if you don't go to church on Sunday morning, it's a type of sin. I don't know if it's a venial or a cardinal or whatever what it is. But um, He says in verse 21, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Then he says, indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and all those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I believe this is a reference. And what we have, what we're studying tonight is they have not repented. And therefore, the institution is going to be headquartered in Rome. That is very, very clear by the last verse of chapter 17. And I will kill her children with death. This is what happens during tribulation. And all the churches shall know that I am the one who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. But to you I say, and the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine and have not known the depths of Satan, as they call them, I will put no other burdens on you. So here we have people in Thyatira that are not holding to that teaching or the false doctrine. They're saying, no, we just believe that Jesus died for my sins on, on the cross. One of my favorite questions I like to ask my Catholic friends, when they talk about the necessity of, of communion every Sunday, I said, oh, I said, well, when Jesus died on the cross, did he die for all your sins? You know what they always tell me? Yes. And when they say yes, and then if I said, if he died for all of your sins, then why do you still have to have your sins forgiven once a week? And they go, they have no answer. You know why they have no answer? Because there is no answer. When Jesus said it was finished, it was finished. All your sins. So what happens if I sin today? i got a direct connection. One mediator, and it's not a priest. And um, I remember when Paul Mall got saved. You guys want to hear a Paul Mall story? Oh, yeah. I love telling Paul Mall stories. Well, he got saved. He came, and he just poured my heart, his heart out to me and confessed all his wretchedness and sin and just how much of a crud he really was. And when he was all done, I said, well, you done now? And I said, this is what I want you to do. Open your Bible, go to men's prayer, and don't miss. He says, that's it? And he goes out and he starts telling people, that guy, that guy didn't even forgive my sins when I was in there. <laughs> I'll get it later for that one. He could fill in the details for you. You know, it's, one, it's Hebrews chapter 10. Once and for all. It says it over and over again. Once and for all. Finished is finished. Paid in full is paid in full. So now when I sin, and I do, 1 John 1, 9, if you sin, then confess your sin straight to the Lord and confess your sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. It is spiritual fornication to say that some man is going to forgive your sin. Jesus went on to say, don't ever call any man on earth your father. Now, I call my father on earth father, but usually you call them papa. And that's not the idea. He was actually looking at a priesthood that he was trying to, it's not about a priesthood, it's about the one high priest that continually makes intercession for you and I. Now, I wanted to lay that as a background because um, the judgment is now going to come, and it's going to be harsh in chapter 17. So with this up there, um, we have a world religious system that unites under a world government with the Antichrist. Thus the two are, are linked together. She's riding uh, the beast. The woman is used by the Antichrist for a time but later he turns and destroys her, an unholy alliance between church and state. Billy Graham had a, a great um, quote for what religion is. He, I'm quoting Billy Graham. Man's attempt to reach God. But biblical Christianity is God reaching down to man. Uh, Billy Graham likens it to getting a shot. Uh, uh, like getting a flu shot, just getting enough to get immunity from it. That's what religion does. Religion gives you just enough that makes you feel like everything is okay, like you're immune. Um, and um, 
it is very, very effective. Stalin calls religion the opiate of the people. And sometimes when I'm witnessing the people and they talk about what religion I am, I say, well, I, I hate religion. Stalin was right. Uh, it is the opiate of the people. And, uh, but I'm in love with Jesus. And there's, you have to make the distinction between um, the, re- the religion, the institution, and a personal relationship with the Lord. When you stand before the Lord at the great white stone judgment, you're on your own. Your wife isn't going to be there. Husband's not going to be there. It's one-on-one. And um, you either know the Lord in a personal way or you do not. Verse 1, chapter 17. Remember now, this is, this is already detail that's being added to the events in the last three and a half years of, uh, of the, the first three and a half years of the harlot here in chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Um, let's just go to verse 15 for the interpretation, because many waters is symbolic. And remember our rule of thumb in Bible interpreting, interpreting itself. Uh, verse 15, he says, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, Nations and tongues. So the Roman Catholic Church is in every country in the world. It sits on many waters. And then with whom the kings of the earth commit fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, this is a picture of the, um, the Antichrist and the ten world leaders that will, when the world is sliced up during this period of time. We read in Daniel that three had to be overthrown. And, um, but that's what the description of... Um, the Antichrist is here. But then it goes to the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls and having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Now, this is a religious system that they call Christianity after the rapture. Now, we're called the bride. You and I are called the bride if you're born again. Jesus is the groom, we're the bride. But here, she's referred to as a harlot. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And John says, when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. How can this be, that the institution has, is responsible for martyrdom of so many people. <laughs> um, before I forget, there's two books that, to really do an in-depth, correct study on this. Um, Hislop's book, The Tale of Two Babylons, is that thick, that go through what we're talking about tonight, the tale of two Babylons. Uh, the Babylon that existed under Nimrod and the Babylon that we're reading about here in chapter 17. Um, false religion married into Christianity in 312 A.D. with Constantine. Um, this is when he made um, pagan holidays Christian holidays. And, um, for example, Christmas, Saturnalia, was a Babylonian holiday. Uh, what they did in the worship of, of at Saturnalia, uh, that's where the mistletoe comes from. Uh, that's where the Yule log comes from. That's where Christmas trees come from. Don't worry, I'm not going to come and yell at you if you have a Christmas tree at your house. 
I'll just burn the house down that way we won't have to worry about the Christmas tree. How about Easter? Well, that is uh, the spring solstice, another holiday based on a pagan day with the idea of spring, love's in the air. So what do you have? You have fertility. You have little rabbits that multiply quickly. Um, Eggs, etc. All exploiting what? Fertility. Uh, but, But it was paganized by Constantine. Um, I believe that when I'm a product of the 60s and I believe that they're going to have a one world anthem. I I narrowed it down to two. It's either going to be John Lennon's song, Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven or hell below. Just try to imagine it if you can. And I won't go through all that because you're familiar with Imagine. The other one was by Cat Stevens called Peace Train. I'm actually going to quote this one out for you. Uh, now, I've been happy lately thinking about good things to come, and I believe it could be something good has begun. Oh, I've been smiling lately, dreaming about the world as one, and I believe it could be someday it's going to come. Because out on the edge of darkness there rides a peace train. Oh, peace train, take this country, come take me home again. Now, I've been smiling lately, thinking about good things to come, and I believe it could be some. Good has begun. Oh, peace train sounding louder. Glide on that peace train. Come on, peace train. Yes, peace train, holy roller. Everyone jump upon the peace train. Come on now, peace train. Get your bags together. Go bring your friends too, because it's getting near. It soon will be with you. Now come and join the living. It's not so far away. And it's getting nearer, sooner it will all be true. Now I've been crying lately, thinking about the world as it is. Why must we go on hating? Why can't we live in bliss? Because out on the edge of darkness there rides a peace train. Oh, peace train, take this country. Come take my home again. Let me tell you something about Cat Stevens. I have his um, um, life story on a DVD at home. And when he was at the top... When you're at the top and you're not saved, you realize just how empty you really are. And here he had it all, and he crashed and burned. He's from London, and his brother had just come back from Jerusalem, gave him a copy of the Koran, and said, this is the word of God. Now, I meet people, and I wonder how they get involved with cults, whether they're Mormons or whether they're Jehovah Witnesses. And usually... It's the first one that knocks on the door that gives them any hope at all that they'll listen to because they're ready to listen. And here's the sad thing about Cat Stevens. I believe he's responsible for London becoming one of the most Muslim countries in the world. Why? Because he's Cat Stevens. It would be like one of the Beatles uh, getting saved and totally committed to the Lord or, or something like that. So I believe um, these songs are so embedded in the culture, um, even young and old know the two songs that I've just just mentioned. But Catholicism after the rapture, many waters, many nations, the church has allied itself with kings throughout its history. She is religious Rome, which at that time will have inherited all the religions of the world. Think about that. Um, we don't sit down and think of the ramifications and the implications of billions of people being here one day and gone the next. And it will cause um, the world, except for Edom, Adam, <laughs> Edom, Moab, and Ammon, the ones you mentioned earlier, that don't go along with, with, with the Antichrist. But it will, it will cause everybody to say, and people are conscious of this today, they say the number one problem in the world today is religion. It's over religion that we're having these, these wars in the Middle East. Um, with the church gone, with that raptured, this will leave a church on earth that is totally apostate. Rather than being the bride of Christ, God calls it a harlot. It's not about people, but about false doctrine. 
Now, with this, let me tell you a little bit about uh, the revived Roman Empire. What are we learning in Daniel? That there will be nations um, that will rule the world. And the last one was Rome that had complete total dominance. But then it talks about it in the future. And the people of the prince, remember, that will come. So we find that talking about yet a future event, and Jesus talks about a future event with the Antichrist, the beast doing and committing the abomination of desolation. But let me just give you some background, and um, I got a, uh, Tim and Mary are on their um, anniversary, and so they're uh, out of town, but I'm going to quote from Mary's track, The Woman Who Rides the Beast. Um, she says, I never forget the first time when I saw in the media years ago when Revelation was still fairly new to me. I was amazed not only that in today's world we would see images that were prophesied many centuries ago, but that anyone would proudly flaunt an image that the Bible has nothing good to say about it. Nevertheless, it's a fact that the representation of a woman riding the beast is the official logo for today's European Union. You want me to read that again? This is the official logo of the European Union. Connecting the dots with Daniel, that clearly says that a revived Roman Empire, now the one with the ten toes, remember? So it's going to come under the Antichrist where he's going to have divided up into ten. He'll have to overthrow three. Um, will be a great superpower in the last days, and things get a bit clearer in our minds. So let's look at some very intriguing graphics as they relate to Revelation chapter 17. I'm going to go ahead and give you a little bit of history about uh, the beast being a bull and where the woman comes into the picture. In case... Your, um, um, we're going back to mythology right now. Um, she says, bottom line, nearly every culture prior to the modern age has had historic figures, and perhaps nearly every culture prior to ours would have recognized this woman riding a beast except ours. And so once you do a bit of digging, the chapter starts to interpret itself for those of us who slept through high school mythology classes. In case you're one of those, let me introduce you to the Greek god Zeus. Zeus was the chief deity in the Greek pantheon of gods. His name means sky god. And legend has it that he was the father of all gods, the father of men. Now, one of the legends about him is that he took a fancy to a beautiful mortal or earth dweller, a woman named Europa, and decided he had to have her for himself. Europa was the daughter of the king of the Phoenicians, also known as the king of Tyre. Since Tyre was a major Phoenician city, more about that in a moment. But being a god, small g, Zeus figured there would be some roadblocks to his success in seducing Europa, as he was immortal and Europa was human. So as not to frighten her by his glorious godlike appearance, he took the form of a large white beast, a bull, and laid at her feet. When he thought he had won her trust, he kidnapped her and seduced her, carried it off to his own domain. Europa was named, uh, Europe was named for this ancient legend. This is where the word Europe comes from, Europa. And, um, for this ancient legend about the uh, union between Zeus and Europa, hence the symbolism that is displayed prominently here. So now we can look at these images and understand that a form of historical culture, uh, from that perspective, it would have been plainly understood by cultures that preceded us. So as we're reading this here, um, John says he saw this woman riding the beast. Um, it's actually um, paganism, and actually where Europe got its 
got its name from. So now John wants, the angel says, uh, as John was marveling, let's look at verse 7. John's marveling at this, this event. Uh, I've got to dig a little bit deeper as I look at my notes here. John marveled with great amazement when he saw her. Why? Because she was intoxicated by the acts of persecution, the blood of the saints. We're talking about the Inquisition. We're talking about the Crusades. Pope Urban II, about 1088 to 1099, he inspired the First Crusade, decreed that all heretics were to be tortured and killed. That became a dogma of the church. Acclaimed as an angelic doctor, even St. Thomas Aquinas taught that non-Catholics or heretics could, after a second warning, be legitimately, legitimately killed. His exact words are, they have merited to be executed from the earth by death. The popes themselves were the authority behind the inquisitions. They wielded the power of life and death, even over emperors. Had any pope opposed the inquisition, he could have stopped it during his papacy at any time. Where do we read that the popes thundered anathemas against the secular authorities who imposed so many and such gruesome deaths upon their victims? Never. Civil magistrates would have uh, desisted from these loathsome murders in order to save their own souls. But papal orders to stop the Inquisition, they never came. Try to imagine being suddenly arrested in the middle of the night, taken to an unknown location, kept secret from family and friends. You are not told the charges against you or the identity of your accusers, who remain unknown and thus immune from any examination to discover whether they're telling the truth. Whatever the accusation, it is accepted as fact that you are guilty without trial. The only trial will be that the most um, painful torture will continue until you confess to that unnamed crime or heresy of which you have been accused. Now, imagine the torment. It's graphic here, so hold on. Uh, being put on a rack, dislocated joints, torn, seared flesh, internal injuries, broken bones on the rack and other devices, mended by doctors so they could be torn asunder again by fresh torture. Eventually, you would confess to anything to end the torment. But no, but no matter what confession, it never fits the secret accusation, so the torture continues until at least at last you expire from your trauma. Such was the fate of millions. These were real people, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, sons, and daughters, all with hopes and dreams and passions and feelings, many with a faith that could not be broken by torture or fire. Remember that this terror, this evil of such proportions that is unimaginable today, Uh, it is imaginable today with beheadings of ISIS, was carried out for centuries in the name of Christ by the command of those who claim to be the vicars of Christ. They are still honored with the title by this church, which has never admitted that the inquisitions were wrong. She has not repented or apologized, and she dares to pose even today as a supreme teacher an example of morals and truth. Remember also that the doctrine which supported the Inquisition remains in force force within the Roman Catholic Church even at the present time. Today's Roman Church has great wealth in art and artifacts, gold, tapestries, scarlet and purple. That's the colors of the cardinals. Scarlet is the adopted color of the church. So, I wanted to put a little meat into verse 5. When John was marveled, and he's totally blown away by what he's seeing, um, 
These are historical facts that um, have caused a lot of thinking people. When they study um, world history, they read about the Inquisition. Uh, They read about the Crusades. And they say, I don't want anything to do with that. That's Christianity? No, thank you. All right, now we can go to verse 7. But the angel said to me, why, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Well, how can you be and not be and then still be? Well, you're alive, you're assassinated, you're dead, and then you're brought back to life. You were, you were not, and you are. And it's a reference to the false resurrection that we read back in Revelation 13 where the beast had a fatal head wound, mortal. And... Um, uh, what? Let's see if I have my notes here. Maybe we'll come to it later. So verses seven and eight here uh, is in reference, and he's just explaining who the who the woman is writing. Now in verse nine, we're told, "Here is a mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits." So we have seven heads, seven mountains, seven governments, the city of seven hills. Um, There's actually two cities in the world that are known as the city of seven hills. One happens to be Jerusalem, but that's not what we have in view here. The city of seven hills is the city of Rome, and I'll prove that when we get to our last verse. Verse 10, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, One is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must continue a short time. So here, when we talk about this, there are those who try to put it in in two different categories, and I'll tell you what side of the fence I come down on. There are those who say that there was, during 100 AD to 312 when Constantine came through, that they went through... um, these the these seven mountains and were the and these seven kings they try to make them the caesars um, but in during a more in-depth study that there there was actually more than seven that existed i i don't think they were the caesars i believe what we have in view here is the actual kings and that's where the book of daniel comes in Now remember, Daniel starts with Babylon. But before Babylon, there was the Assyrian. And before the Assyrian, there was the Egyptian. So we have, number one, we have Egypt. Number two, we have Assyria. Two and three both fell in one night. Remember, I keep saying that um, during Hezekiah's time and Isaiah's time, uh, the Assyrians came against Jerusalem. And one angel, one night, took out 184,000 men. That's the end of their empire. Well, in one night, Babylon fell. Remember the writing on the wall? So that fell in one night. So we got Egypt, Assyria, Babylon. And uh, last week, we've been studying in detail in, in, in uh, Daniel, the Medo-Persian, and then Alexander the Great. And we went into the history of that uh, in, in Daniel. And then, of course, Rome came was mentioned as we were going through chapter 11 as the ones that started collecting taxes from the Syrians. So now we have Rome starting to come into the picture. Nobody ever defeated Rome. It um, fell from within. And there hasn't been another world empire since then. Hitler tried, Stalin tried, Mussolini tried. They have all tried, some have tried but none have ever been able to pull it off. That is, remember, Daniel was intrigued with the fourth beast because it was fierce and it was different from all the other ones. So now we're talking about the one that the Antichrist is going to rule over. So what we have here, 
Let's read uh, verse 10 again. Yet there also have seven kings. Five have fallen. So at John's time, uh, going back, um, we have Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. And uh, this would have been during John's time, five were, were fallen. One is, and that would be Rome, which, which would make it seven, or um, um, one, two, three, four, five, the sixth one. And the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must continue for a short time. And the beast that was and is not and himself is also of the eighth and is of the seven and goes into perdition. This is connecting the revived Roman Empire. So that's why we say that the empire has to come out of Europe. It comes out of the revived Roman Empire that hasn't been around for 2,000 years. So the prince that is to come comes from the European community somewhere. And um, this takes us to verse 11. Um, Here, I would like you to turn to Daniel chapter 7, but let's read 11 first. The beast which was and is not is himself of the eighth and is of the seven. He goes into perdition. Let's go back to uh, Daniel chapter 7. Connect some dots here. Daniel 7 verses... 7 through 8, 7 and 8. <clears throat> what we're describing here, remember Daniel 2 is the world empires only in a form of a metallic image. But in Daniel 7, it's described to us as four creatures. Um, a lion, a leopard, and a bear. And then this dreadful one, verse 7 And after this, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now we're talking about the Antichrist in the last days that is yet future for us. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little horn, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. This is why there's, um, we say that he overthrows three, or three of these kingdoms won't go along with them. And there in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Then the Ancient of Days comes, takes care of him. In verse 11, I watched them because of the sound of the pompous words. Verse 11, which the horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning fire. That's Revelation chapter 19. The very first order of business is after the battle of Armageddon. He takes a beast and the false prophet and they're thrown directly into the lake of fire. Recorded in Daniel, recorded in Revelation. All right, let's go back to Revelation. And we left it off in verse 11. Let's pick it up in verse 12 through 14. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. See, there's a transition. The Antichrist is destroying uh, Rome. And um, they're going to reign with the Antichrist. But they receive authority for one hour as king with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their authority and power to the beast. They will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Boy, I like saying that. For he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So, um, these verses here simply are talking about uh, the duration that they're going to rule and, and reign. Now, more, we've already done an explanation of 15. 
Um, the waters, which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. That goes back to verse 1. And now we're having the explanation given to us in verse 15. And the ten horns which you saw in the beast, okay, these will hate the harlot. So we have the Antichrist and his leaders, his kings, they hate this religious system. Why? Because he's the only one that wants to be worshipped. So they hate the harlot, which is Roman Catholicism. And they make war and make her desolate. They eat her flesh and burn her with fire. I personally think they're going to get nuked. Um, the Antichrist does it, and that's just, just my opinion. But Roma's gone. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose. You see, it's, the Lord has hands off right now, and he's letting the beast accomplish and do what he wants to do. To be of one mind and to give their kingdoms to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. In other words, until he comes back and he takes care of all three of them. The last verse, and the woman who you saw is that great city. Now we know we're talking about a town, which reigns over the kings of the earth. This was written by John in 96 AD, and the, the city that reigned over the world was the Roman Empire. And so there's no if ends about about who we're talking about here. We're talking about a religious structure that um, is headquarters in in Rome. Can I go back and read uh, what the Pope said yesterday? Tying it in, we must have a new world government that must rule for the Americans' own good. (laughs) That was yesterday's statement. Chapter 18. Again, um, let me begin by saying really good Bible people that I respect believe that chapter 17 and 18 are one city, both of them being Rome. This is why I disagree. <clears throat> the first thing it says in chapter 18 is after these things. After what things? After chapter 17. It says, I saw another angel. Okay, so we have, um, again, meditata after these things. A different angel altogether. Uh, Coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached into heaven, and God has remembered her iniquity. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed for her double. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same manner give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I'm no widow, and I will not see sorrow. The major difference between 17 and 18 is one is a religious system and the other one is an economic system. And the idea is commerce and trade is coming to an end. And um, the main differences that we have here, let me go back. Um, I'm going to make this point that the religious Babylon was destroyed by the Antichrist, and now he has, that had existed up to that time, 
um, the woman riding the beast, but it's Rome that's in charge, and the beast isn't. But now there is no woman. She's been destroyed. So that happened during the, the beginning of the, the three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. Commercial Babylon is destroyed by the return of Christ. Uh, and that is at the end of this three and a half year period of time. Uh, with that, let's turn to Zechariah chapter 5. And I'm not going to be dogmatic about this either. Zechariah, again, is right before Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And we have this strange vision given to Zechariah. He sees a woman in a basket. Let's pick it up in verse 5 through 11. Then the angel who talked with me came and said to me, Lift your eyes now and see what it is that is going forth. So I said, What is it? And he said, It's a basket. It's going forth. He also said, uh, This is the resemblance throughout the earth. And here's a lead disc lifted up, and there's a woman sitting inside the basket. And he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lid and to, to cover over his mouth. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. They lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. And so I asked the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me to build a house for it in the land of Shinar, and when it's ready, whenever this, what is, the city that's being built is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. All right. Um, my favorite commentators believe that, and that this is um, Babylon that has to be rebuilt. And... Um, when it's rebuilt, it will be the economic trade center of the whole world. And um, I have a problem with that because what, we're, what we have in view here is clearly a port city and neither Rome or Babylon were on the sea. Um, the Euphrates went through Rome, but it wasn't a world trading center. Now, with making quotes like I quoted from, from the Pope and just how I, late I think it really is, realistically to say that Babylon is going to become the commercial enterprise of the entire world, I have a problem time-wise with that. So um, I remember coming back from India one time, and this would have been in the 90s, and I saw all these posters, advertisements, um, begging people to move to Dubai. And, um, and uh, I didn't know what Dubai was, didn't think about it much. Years go by. Uh, Dubai was nothing more 50 years ago than um, a, a port city. It, it traded in pearls. That was its main industry. That's what it was known for. But there was really nothing there. What has happened in the last 20 years, I remember calling uh, um, friends that I respect, and one of them was David Hawking. Talked to David yesterday. He said to say, hey, Wisconsin guys. He's looking forward to coming out. And we just had to get his plane tickets taken care of. I said, I said, uh, David, let me let me tell you something that'll make your day. I said, one of our, one of the guys that is in uh, Minoc, North Dakota, is uh, pastoring a small Calvary there, and um, he says, Dwight, you don't remember me, but I've come to all the prophecy conferences over the years, and he says, I got 
saved listening to Dave Hawking in 2009. So I said, Dave, here's something that'll make your day. The guy, one of the guys that's going to Israel with us this year um, got saved when you gave an altar call on a Sunday morning in 2009. Now he's a Calvary Chapel pastor, and he's always wanted to go to Israel, and now he's going to Israel with me. He says, you're right, that makes my day. You should say, amen. No, Dave Hawking style. And there you go, that's better. With my time left, I'm going to make the case. You can go on the internet and type in Revelation 18 and Dubai. And uh, a Calvary Chapel pastor who sat under David Hawking, that's, that's why I read his website. He has come to the same conclusion that I have, and he's written about it. I've simply taught it from the pulpit, and I've showed pictures from time to time. What got my attention is ancient Babylon was known for building a building that was to reach into heaven. That's what it was known for. So when I heard that Dubai was building the tallest building in the world, the lights began to go on for me a little bit. In a city that is nothing but desert, nothing but desert, and very, very small 50 years ago, they looked at their oil reserves and decided that they were going to put all of it, all their eggs in one basket and build a utopia. And so they, they set out to build the city of cities that would attract people from around the world. The first picture that we're going to put up here is the tallest city in the world. I think somebody tried to build one 10 feet taller. That's Dubai. And that is the tallest building in the world. It also, at the time, had the only seven-star hotel in the world. And that's what this looks like. There was no such thing as a seven-star hotel. There are other ones today, but this was the first one. It has one of the busiest, remember this is, it's on the port, and I can't remember if it's the third or the fourth at this time. Um, This is the second largest airport in the world. It's in Dubai. The next one the um, largest shopping mall in the world. Here's a picture of it from above. Mall of America is peanuts compared to this thing because this thing has an indoor downhill ski hill. This is the port, one of the largest ports in the world. What do they bring in? Luxurious goods for the rich and the famous. People come from all over the world to go to Dubai, and it simply did exist 50 years ago. The coast is right at the bottom of the picture, and they built a city called Palm Island. And I I actually saw this on Modern Marvels, where they built this entire structure, taking sand off the bottom of the ocean and making a city that looks like a palm tree. They had difficulties because, you know, the story about building your house upon the sand? They actually had to bring in special compactors. And then they had a problem. You'll notice that there's slits that they had to have breaks so that water can get in and out. They were on a deadline to have this thing completed. But you can type in Modern Marvels and see the building of this. Since this, they built another one, other islands of the entire world. This is a picture of a palm tree. But imagine the world. They built that. And it really is a modern marvel. All right. Uh, For this reason... When the place is prepared, we read in Zechariah that wickedness is going to be planted there. What verse did we leave off on in chapter 18? Um, Let's pick it up in verse 7. Render 6. Render to her just as she has rendered to you. Repay her double according to her works. What she's known mostly for I remember, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again real quick. Uh, We were at uh, our last Pilgrim's Cafe. I was listening to the disguise, talked to his girlfriend, and he said he was from Dubai. Well, my ears perked right up. He said he grew up in Dubai. And I I had to ask him. I said, can I just talk to you for just a couple minutes? He said, sure, what do you want to know? I said, I'm fascinated by Dubai. You said you lived there. I said, How would you sum up Dubai? And he says, that's easy. Imagine Wall Street, 
Hollywood and Las Vegas all in one city, and you got Dubai. There isn't anything that you can't get. And especially the labor camps and the souls of men. 300,000 people that, that are, live about oh, two or three hours away from the city are bust in every day and every night. They go back and forth. It's 120-degree heat. And it's slave labor, basically. And you don't want to lose your passport if you're in Dubai because you're not, you're not leaving the country. So it, let's finish the chapter here, and I'll go back and state my case why I believe that uh, this is a strong possibility. Um, verse 7, In the measure she lived, glorified herself and lived luxur- luxuriously, in the same manner her torment will come. She says, I said as a queen, I am no widow and will see no sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one hour, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her wept for her when they saw the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment. So the ships of the world don't want to get close to this. So what are two possibilities here? The Lord just takes it out at, at, at the end when he returns, or um, it's nuked. And that's why people don't want to get too near because of the radiation. Standing at a distance for fear of the torment. Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. In one hour, Assyria fell. In one hour, Babylon fell. In one hour, this Babylon is going to fall. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys the merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls. That's what caught my attention, because that's what Dubai was known for, pearl trade. Fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze and iron and marble, cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and bodies and souls of men. Now, all of these would have to have been imported because there's nothing there. It's desert. But... Um, they got Tiger Wood to design one of the, the finest golf courses in the world. And they have the, the highest uh, horse racing um, award in Dubai. The Kentucky Derby is more famous, but the biggest purse in the world, money-wise, comes out of Dubai at their racetrack. And the fruit of your soul long for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you will find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great riches came to nothing. For every shipmaster... And all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade by the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? Well, I remember one of the things that they made that they put up there that I got wrong is they recreated the seven wonders of the ancient world, including um, the hanging Gardens of Babylon, the pyramids, Eiffel Tower, and uh, they actually have a place that you can go to that that uh, made her this great tourist attraction. They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, "Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships of the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she was made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven." And you holy apostles and prophets of God, who has avenged you of her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down, 
and shall not be found any more. The sound of the harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of the millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. And the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, and the word there is pharmakia, uh, all the nations were deceived. And in her were found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who were slain of the earth. Let me close with the two arguments. Those who see it as both being Rome would quote verse 24. They would quote the colors of, um, um, that she is adorned with. And the only reason um, I, I can't take that view, and again, I'm, I'm, I can't be dogmatic, but we have in verse 1, after these things I have a different angel coming, meaning that one has already been preceded. And that was at the first, at the beginning of the last three and a half years. It's all over with here when uh, there's nothing left to trade with. And the next chapter that we have is the second coming of Jesus Christ. So I see this happening at the end as two separate cities. And um, I think Dubai fits the bill for being it. And... um, I could be dead wrong, and something miraculous happens, and Babylon becomes this mega economic city overnight. But I just don't see it happening. And I think it has to be a port city. And I'm past my time. So let's stand and pray. Lord, as we see how 17 and 18 do dovetail together, and how it does tie into, again, the book of, of Daniel, we thank you for the detail that we have happening during the time when you take your hand off the beast and you let him destroy Rome so that he can have his kingdom and like Nimrod building the tallest building in the world in his time, so the beast, I believe, will probably have the, the suite up on top of the tallest building in the world during his time. But we see how it all ends, Lord, and in this we take great comfort that you have a purpose and a plan. So as we go tonight, Lord, help us retain as much as we can and um, remember the quote of of the Pope that saying we need a world government uh, just yesterday. The timing is amazing. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.